listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files, the Guitar Repair Podcast, the Guitar Workshop Podcast. This month's podcast is brought to you by giant spider bites that almost kill you. That's all I'll say about that. I've had a heck of a month. I I don't even want to go into it. Uh, Laughing here beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa Daw. Hello, everybody. Hello. And, uh... I want to encourage everyone to participate in the show, and specifically for next month's episode, which is October, uh, October 2016, we are going to do our second annual Guitar Horror Stories podcast. Yeah, so get in your Guitar Horror Stories for next month. And that can be anything, anything that involves a guitar was either too far gone or destroyed or a repair that was so badly done that it raises the hair on the back of your neck or a guitar that you bought on eBay that by the time it got to you it was so mangled from shipping that it was unrecognizable or anything like that. Uh, just as an example, here's a, here's a story, just a little preview for next month, right? I have a friend of mine who does guitar repair, and, and uh, I didn't get his permission to use this story, so let's call him Gary. <laughs> okay. We'll use a, a pseudonym. And Gary repairs guitars, very nice guitars. He's he's like a very reputable guitar repair guy. And somebody sent him a beautiful old, like, turn-of-the-century, um, and by turn-of-the-century, I mean 1900? Yeah. Okay. Turn of the century, I just have to specify that because, you know... There was another century right. since then. Right. Right. Anyhow, Gary repairs guitars, and he somebody sent him a beautiful little parlor guitar, and he opened up the case, and as he opened the case, the neck just sat straight up like a snake. The, the body of the guitar stayed put, right? But the strings pulled the neck straight up like a zombie looking up out of a casket. And uh, what had happened is it got it got munched in shipping, and the neck became detached from the from the guitar in, during shipping. And as the thing sat up, he just he heard the top separating from the sides all the way oh. down the guitar. Yeah, just crack, crack, crack. Ouch. I know. So he had to restore the whole thing. I mean, he had to call the customer and say, you know, he took pictures of it. Yeah. And said, you know, this is ha- what happened when I opened your case. You're not going to believe this, and I'm so sorry, but this is this is what happened in shipping. But 
thankfully it's here at the guitar hospital and I can take care of it, right? Yeah. That's it. That's a tough one though cuz what if the customer doesn't believe that it, you know, the sh- the guy that was throwing it around well. at shipping did it? What if he thinks the Gary somehow screwed it up? That is a guitar horror story. Anything you have like that, we're going to we're going to fill next month month's podcast with guitar horror stories. So please send them in. Even if you sent one in last year, I want you to participate again. If you're a newer listener and you've never sent in a story, now's your chance. I mean, we've look, we're all players, we're all uh whether you're a professional luthier or an amateur tech or just a player that likes to listen to this show, we've all got guitar horror stories, right? The one you bought on eBay that showed up with a neck so twisted that you thought it was a boomerang. <laughs> So send them in, and you can do that by going to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click the contact link and type in your little story there. Uh, you can also call and leave a voicemail. That's a popular option. Uh, 757-774-8482. And calls will get... Uh, preferred treatment on the show. I'm going to take calls first. We don't have any this month. Like I say, it's a popular option, but uh, you can you can call that number, 757-774-8482, or you can also text that number. There's no shortage of ways to get a hold of me. We're on Facebook. You have no excuse. We're on Facebook. It's, you know, facebook.com, whatever, backward slash whatever, the fret files. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, send send in your story, or if you just have a question or a comment for the podcast, send it in. As always, I'll use it as part of the show, and we certainly have some good questions this month. Shall we dive right in? All right. All right. We get letters. We get stacks and Hi, Eric. I repair guitars for a living, and I do good work. Wait, guitars? Yeah. But sometimes I run into a problem customer, as I'm sure everybody in any kind of service industry does. Case in point, I refretted a Gibson Les Paul for a customer. He asked for something like Dunlop 6105 wire. And I don't use Dunlop wire. I usually use Stumac wire. Anyhow, he picks up the guitar and is thrilled. He loves it, no problems. He pays, takes it home, and I don't hear anything for a month. After a month, he calls me and asks what kind of fret wire I used. I told him the Stumac equivalent of Dunlop 6105. Apparently, he and a buddy were measuring all their f- the frets on their guitars with a micrometer and discovered that the frets I used hmm. were slightly wider than the frets on his other guitars. That's a micrometer, but... Oh, sorry. What did you say? Micrometer? Yeah, that's fine. That's the same. That's this... It's a yeah. measuring device. Right. Calipers. Uh, now he's upset. He is happy with the work, but he wants a partial refund because I didn't use the brand of fret wire he asked for. I declined. He left a bad review for my shop on Yelp. It amazes me that he, A, cares about the brand difference enough to be upset, and B, wants a refund for the work that he was happy with. I should have told him in the beginning that I'd be using Stumac wire, but the way he spoke when he dropped it off indicated to me that he wasn't an OCD detail guy. I was wrong. But I think he's out of line for asking for a refund and then giving me a bad review on Yelp. 
What do you do in bad situations like this? Any pointers or tips on how to deal with the problem customer? Thanks. Anonymous repair guy in America. Ooh, in anonymous. In America. Somewhere in America. Now, does is that just the United States? Or is it that... It could be the Americas. North and South? Generally. Is it capitalized? Yes. I guess it would be. Um, dear sir, you know, I tell you, I've... Well, I'd be lying if I told you I, uh, that I'd never ran into this kind of thing. I've been repairing guitars professionally for over 20 years. You certainly run into conflicts, but... but um. I've learned a few techniques to diffuse any conflict before the fact. You hit the nail on the head when you said you should have told him that you used Stumac wire. I, you know, that would have that would have nullified this whole situation. He either would have said, "Oh no, thank you. I'm I have obsessive compulsive disorder and I need Dunlop fret wire." Frankly, I think you did him a favor. I I prefer Stumac wire. The Dunlop stuff isn't as good. Uh, that's my opinion. But uh, that would have diffused the situation. Or he would have said, um, okay, what's the size difference? And all right, okay, I guess that's okay. And so there wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been a conflict. So full disclosure is the best course of action. Now I understand what you mean when you say, you know, now it's all said and done. There's no way to go back. And now he's left you a bad review on Yelp, which is that does kind of suck it, because he was happy with the fretwork. Yeah. You know? Yeah, this guy sounds like kind of a, a D-bag for sure. That's street language for a uh, an unpleasant customer. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a, I don't know what your situation is. I assume that the, the reason you called yourself anonymous is so that we don't all run to your Yelp page and read the review. Um, but I don't, I don't know what your Yelp page looks like. Do you have 20 positive reviews and then this unpleasant fellow? Because if that's the case, don't sweat it, you know, tell him to pound sand and just thank yourself that he's not going to be back. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh on the guy. I don't know, whatever. But if you have two reviews and his is one of them, well, that's, that's a different story. That's kind of harsh but either way as the shop owner you should be able to post a response on Yelp and um, with the story that you've presented here I think that you could make a very reasonable case that you know here's a guy that that okay I should have disclosed that I used Stumac wire but uh, this guy really didn't need to go out of his way to post a bad review, a negative review for what What did he want? He wants a partial refund over fretwork that he's happy with? Yeah. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even know. Yeah. It's just amazing to me that he, that he called you on it and had a micrometer measuring the frets. Anyway, I don't know. It's a well, funny story. Yeah. If he hadn't been measuring the frets, he would never have noticed. Maybe this right? is a story for next month. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what would I do? I don't know. At this point, there's really nothing you can do. If you really want to be, if you really want to, <laughs> if you really want to put out an olive branch, I suppose you, you could, uh, uh, offer him a truce and tell him to take down, down the review for a partial refund. But I don't think I would do that. 
I think that I would stick to my guns and and because uh, I th- I feel like you're right in this situation. If everything you presented to me in your email is true, I think that you're in the right. And I would just post a response on Yelp and uh, call it a day. That's what I would probably do. I don't know. I don't cool. know. That's a tough one. There's a few things, just as an aside, there's a few things that I've learned to do um, in the repair business to make sure that I don't run into a situation like this. And one of the, one of the things that I want to do is um, I try to get a feel for how the guitar, for how the player likes their their action, how the player plays. Do they use a pick? Do they use their fingers? You know, all these things can kind of be a factor in uh, setting up and adjusting the the player's guitars. The other thing that I like to do every time somebody comes in to pick up their guitar, I ask them, do you have time to check this out? Because I, well, I used to say, uh, do you want to check this out while you're here? You know, and they make it, it, it sounds to them like you're challenging them. Like, do you trust my work or are you going to just, do, do you want to check out my work or do you want to just go, <laughs> you know? But if you ask them, do you have time to check this out? They almost never say no and, and it doesn't sound like such a challenge. So do you have time to check this out while you're here, Mr. Customer? Because um, I want to make sure that you're happy. I want to make sure that you left my shop, my repair shop, happy with the work that I've performed. So that's one thing that I do, um, but that wouldn't have helped you in your situation, so I don't know. But that, thanks for writing in a question. It was an interesting conversation. Dear Fret Files Podcast, what tuner do you, re- do you rely on in your shop for setting intonation? Con? Peterson? Something else? Also, how do you feel about the buzz fighting tuning system? Is it worth it? Are there downsides? Thanks. Aryan in Texas. Is that how you say his name, you think? Oh, I don't know. A-R-J-A-N. Uh, well, I thought it was... A-N. I assumed it was Arjan. Arjan? But you're saying the silent J is in the order. So- soft J. Ar- Aryan. Aryan. I don't, I don't know. know. But it's a cool name either way. Yep. I thought it was Arjan. Well, Arjan's cool. If I'm... Sl- yeah. Uh, forgive me if that's incorrect. Uh... I personally use a uh, an old con strobo tuner from the 70s. Uh it's what I'm used to. There's nothing wrong with the Peterson. They they make great tuners. So whatever you've got, whatever you're comfortable with, they they're both they're both wonderful tuners. The the modern ones that like the Peterson um uh whatever it's called, the one that has the buzz fighting offsets. Uh, that's you're, you're going to have to have that if you do the buzz fighting intonation system. Personally, I'm not a fan of the buzz fighting deal. I I I'm sorry if that's your thing, but it's it's not my thing. I don't I don't dig it. The most experience I've had with that is undoing it for players who can't get their guitar to to tune with other people's guitars. That's what you. That's the problem you run into. You got one guitar player in a group that has their guitar set up with the buzz fighting system. And then there's another guitar player and a piano player and a bass player and nobody can, nobody can tune to each other. So, um, so I've, I've actually, I've removed the, uh, the buzz fighting system from many, many guitars. I've never installed it. 
I, yeah, it's not my thing. I don't, I don't really buy it. Okay, cool. Thanks, Arjan, Arjan in Texas. Is it Texas or Texas? Thanks. Hello, Eric and Melissa. I wanted to set up a dedicated slide guitar. I want to use just a single lap steel pickup and a single volume control. Could you recommend a resistor size I could put in the circuit to give me a slightly rolled back tone knob sound and where it would go in the circuit? Thanks for any help you can give. Zach in Ohio. Hmm. Yeah, I should have pre-read these questions, huh? <laughs> he wants to know... He So he wants a permanently hardwired rolled-off tone sound? Yeah, sounds like it. Okay. Actually, this is an easy one. You know, you're just asking the slightly wrong question. You don't want to put a resistor in there. You want to put a capacitor in there. If you want a slightly rolled-off tone sound, uh, if you put a resistor in there, it then you would be decreasing volume. And it would bleed highs off before bass tones, but it would be a volume decrease, mostly. And so what you want, what you would want to do, he, did he say sing, he, he's got a single volume control? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, single volume control, and you want a slightly rolled off tone sound. I would use a point zero one microfarad capacitor, any capacitor of your choice, 0.01, and uh, just hardwire it. One side of the cap goes to any hot lug anywhere, and the other side goes to any ground anywhere. Now you could put it across the jack if you wanted. You could put it on the volume pot. You know, one one leg of the capacitor on one of the hot lugs of the... Uh, of the volume pot, and then the other leg of the capacitor going to the to ground, to the housing of the pot. And you could experiment with different values. 0 0.01 would be, it would sound kind of like a 0 0.022 cap with the pot rolled halfway down. But that's where I'd start. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Hey, Eric and Melissa, long-time listener, first-time questioner. I am a luthier who works at a custom finish shop, MJT Custom Aged Finishes. Oh, yeah. Mark Jenny. Yeah. I plan, to I plan to eventually get into building acoustics and or arch tops. What advice would you give to someone who wants to branch out on their own but keep their day job and maybe even convince their employer to be a dealer of said guitars? Also, I am really digging the Telelectros. Maybe we could get a demo of it on an upcoming podcast. Oh, thanks. Well, um, you know, it's funny. I don't really make those guitars anymore. I made I made a few guitars called a Telelectro, where it's half Tele and half Danny Electro, right? And uh, I've left the website up, but I'm all sold out of them, and I have I haven't made any of those for about two years. So thanks for noticing, but yeah, it's not something I'm working on currently. I do have, you know, I've got a really cool custom guitar I just made that um, I should tell you guys about. I Have you ever seen vintage Western wallpaper, like with cowboy scenes on it? 
you know, the, the little farmhouse where my dad grew up in the back room that they had this amazing, like campfires and horses and cactus wallpaper. It was so cool. And I've just always thought of that. It's always been just part of my mental geography, just rolling around in my head. And I was thinking about Pais- the Paisley Telecasters, the Paisley guitars. Right. And that's wallpaper. Did you know that? Yeah. Because you told me. Yeah. So they put wallpaper on there and then they lacquer over it. And I thought, well, why can't I use some other kind of wallpaper? So I found some vintage cowboy wallpaper, put it on a guitar body, and then did a blonde finish over it. And it turned out really cool. I should put it... You know what? I'll put it as the uh, image for today's show. Cool. Yeah, because I don't really have anything else to use and you guys might get a kick out of it. So I just finished that guitar. So I'm on to... My point is, I'm on to bigger and better things than the Tele-Electros. I may eventually make more of those, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, but thanks for noticing. When what was his question? How do you... What advice would you give to someone who wants to branch out on their own but keep their day job and maybe convince their employer to be a dealer of guitars? Your biggest um, concern is you don't want to create a conflict of interest with your employer. That's going to be your biggest concern. Um, and as long as you're not creating a conflict of interest, then there there shouldn't be a problem in doing both things. And as far as talking your employer into carrying your guitar as well, that's really going to be up to you. I don't know. It just depends on how receptive they're going to be to the idea. I don't really have any advice there. Well, how did you do it? Well, um, I don't know because I've been doing it for 10 years. So the guitars I make, I sell them solely through Emerald City Guitars because if I didn't, it would be a conflict of interest because I'm the guitar repair guy there and people know I make these guitars. So they, they contact me at Emerald City Guitars and sometimes they contact me there to talk about the guitars I make. And if I didn't sell them at Emerald City, then it, I would be using my employer's time uh, to further my own business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I have to, I have to do it that way. Totally. So it was really just more of a, you know, my employer and I had a sit-down discussion about, you know, this is what makes the most sense for everybody. I'm going to sell these guitars. You have a guitar shop where you sell guitars. I repair guitars in that shop. This all works together wonderfully. There was no problem. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, good luck with that one anonymous guy that didn't put your name. It might have just got lost in my oh. uh, compiling of questions. Well, that's okay. Yeah. Hey, Eric and Melissa. I like to start by saying thanks for the super awesome show and keep up the good work. A question. We, we think it's pretty keen. Yeah. It's the bee's knees. A question for Fender type guitars. What is your opinion on quarter sawn versus flat sawn necks? Would quarter sawn be stronger and possibly more stable for intonation? In your experience, does the tone differ from one another? Thanks again, Nate. Cool. Thanks, Nate. Um, people use the word intonation sometimes, and I'm not sure what they mean because that doesn't uh it's not making a connection in my brain so intonation is 
how a guitar tunes, making making the proper note. So uh, whether it's quarter son or flat son doesn't affect the intonation. Um, it does make a stronger neck. A quarter son neck is a stronger piece of wood, and that is going to add to the longevity of the neck, where a flat son neck there's more potential to have problems not that a not that a flat son neck is going to fail where a quarter son won't but we're just talking about there's more potential for warpage i think with a flat son neck as opposed to a quarter son neck it's also a more expensive cut of wood so there's a higher price and you know people uh people interpret that as a as a better cut of wood because it's more expensive and you know it probably is but i don't think there's really going to be a tone difference okay thanks nate hi eric and melissa love the podcast i have two questions i recently built a strat style guitar from new parts mighty might and stumac etc and i'm happy with it overall the only thing that I know I could have done better is the right-left alignment of the neck. The high E runs ever so slightly too close to the edge of the neck. It's playable, but I have to be care- careful not to pull the string down off the side of the fingerboard. I'm planning to build a tele-style guitar next and was wondering if you had any tricks or advice on getting that side-to-side neck alignment just right when you bolt it on. Secondly, I was thinking about putting some signature hand-wound boutique gluten-free artisan Eric Daw pickups <laughs> in the aforementioned telly. I'm confident that your pickups are the most vintage accurate on the market, but having never played an original no-caster, etc., I'm sure that I'm unsure what that really sounds like. Do you have any sound clips of your pickups? Or maybe you can just describe how the sound is in comparison to the Fender make F- Fender made pickups available. Texas Specials Twisted Tellies, 51s, 64s, etc. Thank you in advance for your thoughts. Thoughtful and detailed answer, Isaac. Cool. Thanks, Isaac, for the question. Um, In order to get the neck alignment correct when you're installing a fresh neck onto a uh, bolt-on guitar body, what I like to do is put a clamp on there clamp the neck on with you know with a couple of calls like leather calls or whatever you use put the neck plate on the body put the neck in the pocket and and put a clamp and just kind of soft clamp it you don't have to use a ton of pressure and then put on the outer e strings uh and then you can wiggle the neck just a little bit manipulate it until it's just exactly where you want it and then you can tighten up the clamp and drill your holes. That's the way I do it. Since you've already drilled the holes in that neck, you can you can cheat those just by doing something similar. Um, loosen up the neck screws uh, and just wiggle it if you can in towards the direction that you need to go, and then uh, you can tighten the neck screws back up, and it. If it stays in place, then there you go. Sweet. Yeah, so that's my answer to that. Uh, He is asking if I have any sound clips of my pickups. Well, you know, all of the music in this podcast 
is me playing my pickups. So you've been listening to sound clips all along. If you want to hear more, you can go to... Uh, I think it's the Satellite 4 Bandcamp page, which I don't know what the specific URL is, but it's probably something like bandcamp.com slash satellite4. That's the number four. And uh, all of the guitar on those, uh, there's like two or three albums, and all of that is me playing my pickups. So that's the Satellite 4 as far as sound clips like, here is the bridge pickup through a Princeton reverb, I don't have anything like that, but that's something I'll work on in the future. Thanks, Isaac. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This podcast is super duper. Keep them coming. I have a question about a nitro finish I did on a Fender Strat body a year ago. The body is a really cool 1999 USA 62 vintage reissue replacement. Say that five times fast. Yeah. The original color was candy apple red. I wanted a body finished in nitro black, so I com- committed the cardinal sin by taking a heat gun and slowly chipped off all the poly finish. Oh my. It took five hours. Nonetheless, I continued with the refinish and followed the steps of some delicate sanding and then started with three to four filler coats, followed by five color coats, and finishing with three to four clear coats. After curing for about two weeks in the mid-August shade, I started the wet sanding process. I finished it by polishing it with liquid turtle wax based on results I found on a forum. The body turned out really nice and is starting to show some character after a year of playing and gigging. The question I have is about how the paint has worn around the bottom of the body where the leather strap rubs the most. The paint has worn down to the filler coat, so the bare wood is visible, and the black coat surrounding it seems gummy. Did I make a mistake by polishing with turtle wax? Should I let it, should I have let it cure longer? The rest of the finish is pretty durable. Thanks, you two. Jesse from Snoqualmie. Cool. Thanks, Jesse. My guess is that the finish is reacting to your strap or to something, a st- a stand, or a lot of people wrap their instrument cable through their strap, and the rubber on there will react with your uh, with your finish. That's my guess. You didn't mention what brand of paint you used. I assume you're using, you know, some off the shelf, uh, you know, rattle can spray lacquer. Some of that stuff doesn't cure right. It. it you could let it cure for for a year, and it still would be gummy in spots. Um, that's unfortunate, but that's true. And the uh, the worst is when you know you sit them in a stand, and you'll get you'll get marks on from the rubber of the stand. You know it'll just it'll react with the uh, the lacquer and it'll it'll make it gummy. So it's a common thing on home finished guitars. It's a really common thing. And uh, I, I really don't have any recommendations f- uh, for you on how to fix it other than if you can identify what it's reacting to and eliminate from that from the equation, then I guess that's your way to go. Except, you know, if it's reacting to your strap, well, you kind of need a strap, right? So I don't know. I don't really have a recommendation. It's a common problem on... on uh, home finished guitars that that lacquer just doesn't quite cure the way um the like the 
pre-catalyzed, uh, you know, spray lacquer does. I hope that answers your question. Did he have another question? No, that was it. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Well, let's take a quick break, and we will uh, we'll be right back after these lovely messages from these things that you should buy. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. MelcoLeather.com. Right? Right. Uh, as I make guitars, you know, we share a shop in the backyard there. As I'm making guitars, she's sitting in the other corner making straps, and I see her make these straps. She's so meticulous and so gifted. 
And thanks. You're such a craftsman. Craftswoman? You're such a crafty person. <laughs> you're so crafty. <laughs> uh, really high quality leather, handmade leather guitar straps. Check them out. MelcoLeather.com. Hey guys, great show. I love what you're doing. My question is about a 1960 airline town and country. It came into the shop from a friend of mine. It has some of the weirdest features and problems I've ever seen. My main issue is it has a heavy forward bow in the neck, but no truss rod. I'm guessing it's a steel reinforced neck, but there's no adjustment. The frets are garbage and need to need to be replaced anyway, so I wanted to get your opinion opinion on the straightening effects of a neck refretted with wider fret, or if you have any ideas about straightening a non-adjustable neck. Again, great show. Jed from Wisconsin. Cool. Thanks, Jed. Yeah, that's called compression fretting. If you if you put a, a wider fret in the slot, and it does, it does help. Um, the problem is that as the frets get closer together, it has a bigger effect. So it's not a very good solution to your problem. Uh, if I were repairing that guitar, uh, it's a, what is it? A 1960 airline town and country, probably made by Supro. Yeah. If I were repairing that guitar, I would heat press the neck. I have a, I have a neck heater that's, it's a straightening tool. It's, you know, I've, I've talked about it on the, sh- on the show before. Um, I think one of the early podcasts we talked about neck straightening tools, but they're hard to get anymore. They don't sell them. They used to sell them at LMI. That's Luthier's Mercantile International or or whatever. They used to sell them um, at a number of places, and I've not been able to find them anymore. I uh, uh, the, the one that I'm currently using, I had to make because you... You really can't get them. So, um, but the the whole science behind it is that you clamp the neck to the shape you want it to be in, and then heat it up, and then let it cool overnight while it's being clamped still, and uh, go from there. Sometimes you have to clamp it and do that a couple of times before you get it just right, and you usually have to follow it up with a little bit of. Uh, you know, fret dressing or something. But the trick on that is that you have to get it pretty hot, and there's a fine line between getting it right and igniting the inlays <laughs> or the binding, melting the binding. So not for the faint of heart, not for the amateur. I really I don't recommend messing with those, but I don't know if you're a, if you're a pro. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's that's the that's what I would do with it if it were in my shop, but uh, I wouldn't really recommend going and experimenting on a guitar that you care about with that method. You you're gonna want to try, you're gonna want to try uh, a few garbage guitars with that method first. Thanks, Jed. Hey guys, I just went through all of the podcasts the, the last week 
the last few weeks while at work. They were great, informative, and entertaining. So many thanks for making my day job screen printing go by much faster. Cool. I do setups and small repairs on the side around Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, under the name Labyrinth Guitar Works. I've also started building a few Labyrinth prototype guitars this year that I'm really proud of. I've really been getting my fretting process dialed in and was wondering what your thoughts are on the Erlewine neck jig. Would it really make your leveling much more accurate? Is it worth the price tag? I've also seen homemade versions, but they look rather tricky to build properly. I'm really looking forward to Eric's world famous Strat and Telly Mods book or ebook. <laughs> Me too. If I ever get around to doing that, I really want to. Do you know of any cool humbucker mods you could use, you could include for us humbucker guys? I'm sure there have been lots of interesting mods done with the four conductor wire wiring that a lot of us haven't heard of. Yeah. In an earlier podcast, you said that dime sized mini pots are garbage. I've heard the I've heard the feel of them isn't as smooth as the larger ones, but I'm curious if there's any other reason you don't like them. Let's say comparing a mini CTS pot to a standard sized one. Standard sized one. Sorry for the amount of questions. I've got more waiting for next month already. Ha <laughs> ha. My last one for now is about your sanding technique on a natural finish. On a recent guitar of mine, the end grain is going straight up and down, and on the body side the grain is wavy. Do you sand parallel with the shape of the body all the way around in this case, or do you sand following the grain, perpendicular on the end grain and parallel with the wavy grain on the side? I've always done the latter before, and it seems to get a nicer looking surface, but is definitely quite a bit more work. I've seen it done both ways by professionals, just curious how you go about it. Thanks a bunch for doing the podcast. I hope you guys are doing well, and thanks for including my questions. That's from Levi from uh, Labyrinth Guitar Works, and he's got a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Labyrinth Guitar Works. Cool. Thanks, Levi. Lots of questions here. So um, what is my opinion on the Erlewine neck jig? Well, I've never used one, and I've never seen fit to order one, so I guess you can infer from that that I don't feel like it's necessary. Uh, He's looking forward to my famous strat and telly mods book yeah i i do have a lot of uh, crazy guitar schematics that i've come up with over the years and i am compiling them all to eventually someday put them in some kind of a book or an ebook but it may be a while so don't hold your breath um mini pots you know when i said mini pots are garbage what i really meant was that you know when you look inside a an Epiphone or an Asian import guitar, and you see those tiny little Asian-made pots. Man, those are crappy. Those are just crummy. You know, the CTS ones are probably okay, I guess. I don't use them. I I just don't see why you would if a full-size pot would fit. The only time I'll use mini pots um, is if it's something that's that has to fit into a really small space, like like if you've got to fit a uh, a pot onto a floating pit guard on a on an arch top or something like that, and it has to be small. But any other time, I just I use a full size pot. There, there's just no reason not to. And his last question is: 
on the sides of a guitar, do you sand parallel with the shape all the way around, or do you sand following the grain? Uh, personally, I sand parallel with the shape of the body all the way around. Um, that end grain is so tough that um, I don't think it matters. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it's yeah, it's end grain. So, um, but you know, I'm usually using pore filler. I I work mostly with with ash. So, uh, I do a lot of pore filling, then sanding, and then pore filling, and then sanding, and I just sand all the way around. So yeah, th- those are my answers. Thanks, Levi. Hey, Eric and Melissa, love the show. Here is my question: I have put together a parts caster. 80s Made in Japan strap body, 2008 Made in Mexico maple fretboard neck, a new fender bridge. Everything seems fine, but the fretted notes don't sound quite right. It's not fret buzz, but they just don't ring clearly. I have adjusted the truss rod and the bridge, but I am not sure what's going on. Thanks. I hope that is not too confusing. Tom. Hmm. Well, Tom, uh, I appreciate the question. Um... Yeah, I you know it's something that I would just have to uh, I'd have to sit down with the guitar really to to investigate. Um, he says it's not fret buzz; they just don't ring clearly. So you have to think about anything in the string path that is absorbing string energy rather than deflecting it. You know, so sometimes you'll have. Sometimes you'll have cheap saddles with poorly fit screws or frets that are loose in the slot. You know, all the things we talk about. You want everything to be uh, tight. And um, you want everything to be a good fit so that as the string rings, it's able to ring out and the string energy doesn't get sapped by um, parts that are able to wiggle and move. And we're talking about just microscopic little movements here, but it will sap the tone. Uh, I just don't know what's going on in your particular guitar. It's just something that you'll have to investigate. Um, I wish I had a better answer for you, Tom, but um, that's all I got. All right. All right, I think that's it for the questions. Thanks so much, guys, for participating in the podcast. We we really appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you. We're also going to have more interviews coming up, but uh, not this month and not next month, maybe the following one. Next month, again, remember, we're going to do guitar horror stories, guitar repair horror stories, or guitar purchase horror stories, or guitar shipping horror stories. Anything you can think of, I want you to send them in. We're going to read them all, and it's going to be a blast. So send those in to ericdaw.com. Click the contact link. Send it in there. You know, while you're there at my website, you can click around. You can see what I do. You can look at pictures of the guitars I make. You can order some custom pickups. You know, I make pickups. I rewind pickups. I'll make you a nice cup of coffee. What do you want? Anything. Thanks for listening. I want to say thanks to my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. You're welcome. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com. 
for letting us park this uh, uh, podcast on his corner of hyperspace. And thanks to our lovely sponsors, Emerald City Guitars, Melco Leather, Pinup Custom Guitars, you know. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next month.